This evening we are going to consider the last four verses of Paul's letter to the Colossians. And although there are specific greetings in these verses, and although there are some instructions that are given in a particular historical context, there are definitely some significant things for us to learn and apply. And actually, Paul says something here that is vitally important for the way we approach a major portion of the New Testament. So it's uh, worth studying these verses and and not skipping over them. Tonight, we're going to discover some lessons from the ending. Our text is Colossians chapter 4, verses 15 through 18. And I'm going to read these now. And then we'll pray and ask for God's help as we study his word. Colossians chapter 4, beginning reading at verse 15. Salute the brethren which are in Laodicea and Nymphus and the church which is in his house. And when this epistle is read among you, cause that it be read also in the church of the Laodiceans, and that ye likewise read the epistle from Laodicea. And say to Archippus, Take heed to the ministry which thou hast received in the Lord, that thou fulfil it. The salutation by the hand of me, Paul. Remember my bonds. Grace be with you. Amen. Let's pray. Our great God and Heavenly Father, it's our privilege and joy to meet together tonight. I thank you that we can pray together as a church family. And Lord, thank you for the assurance that we are heard when we pray. We thank you for your word and we thank you for your Holy Spirit who helps us to understand it. And I pray that he would uh, perform that wonderful ministry in our minds and hearts tonight. Help us to understand the text of scripture and Lord help us to know how to apply it. We commit ourselves into your care in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, If you have a look at the outline for our study this evening you will see that I've given a, a heading to each of these final four verses. Uh, I'll share some thoughts about each one, and then we'll be done. A very simple approach tonight. So, first of all, in verse 15, we have a greeting to the churches. Uh, Salute the brethren which are in Laodicea, and Nymphus, and the church which is in his house. Now, this is the second reference to the church in the city of Laodicea. Uh, Paul mentions it in chapter 2, verse 1. And then he mentions it again in the next verse of chapter 4, verse 16. Uh, Laodicea was about 20 kilometres from Colossae, was located in the same valley, the Lycus Valley, and it was a a much bigger city. Of course, we know that uh, 40 years after Paul wrote to the Colossians, uh, the church at Laodicea received a letter uh, from Jesus. It was one of the the seven churches who Jesus addressed in Revelation chapters 2 and 3. Now from our study in chapter 2, it seems as though the same issues that were troubling the church at Colossae, the same kind of false teaching, was troubling the church at Laodicea. And that's understandable given their proximity. They really were sister churches. So there is a greeting from Paul to this church at Laodicea. And a greeting to a man named Nymphus and the church that was meeting in his house. Now we don't know who Nymphus was and we don't know exactly where he lived. Uh, The flow of thought in the verse perhaps suggests 
that this was another church in the city of Laodicea. Uh, Laodicea may well have been big enough to have a couple of Christian assemblies. Notice that the church met in his house. Scholars believe that this was usually the case in the early days of the church. Uh, The saints would gather in private homes for worship and fellowship. They didn't have church buildings. And uh, this is understandable given that many of those first churches that were planted around the Roman Empire were small and poor. Slaves made up a substantial part of uh, their number. So uh, what a blessing for these Christians, wherever they were, that they had nymphus, a man who was willing to have them come into his home week by week, Lord's Day after Lord's Day, and perhaps uh, at other times too. One suspects that nymphus must have had the resources to do this. Perhaps he was a wealthy man with a, a large house. But nevertheless, his generosity to the people of God was commendable And what a a wonderful service he rendered. I mean, uh, would you like it if our congregation met at your house every Sunday? And then perhaps uh, again for prayer during the week. Uh, It might be fun to do it once or twice in the year, but uh, every week? We know that when the church gathered, there was usually a meal at the end of the service, a love feast, and perhaps Nymphus catered for this as well. Now, having the, the church gather in his home was certainly more than just providing a space for worship. This reminds us that God uses people like Nymphus, people with resources and with a generous Spirit. In fact, it reminds us that people like Nymphus are vital to the fellowship and health of any local church. Thankfully, our little church has sufficient resources to hire a place of worship. We can, we can meet here. We don't have to meet in uh, someone's house. Uh, but we still need people to give financially. Uh, we need people to give of their talents and resources to take food from their pantry, prepare it and share it. That enables and enriches our fellowship. And there is still the need for the saints to open their homes, to have people come in and receive the encouragement of hospitality. And maybe God hasn't gifted you to preach, teach or lead. Maybe you can't play a musical instrument. Maybe you're not much of a reader, but you can cook. Or you've got a home that's well suited to entertaining. Or, or maybe the Lord has blessed you with financial resources. You know, if this is so, let me encourage you to be like Nymphus. To use what you've got to build up the people of God. The church needs people like this. God delights to use them. And so there is a greeting to the churches in these closing verses. And then secondly, there are instructions about the letter. We see this in verse 16. And when this epistle is read among you, cause that it be read also in the church of the Laodiceans, and that ye likewise read the epistle from Laodicea. The first part of these instructions is relatively straightforward. And we can understand why Paul said this. As I've already noted, this epistle that we've been studying was likely addressing issues that were troubling both churches, and perhaps the church at Hierapolis too. It makes sense that this letter, or a copy, would be taken and read to the church at Laodicea for their spiritual welfare. 
But what really piques our interest here is this reference to another letter. A letter from Laodicea that Paul wanted to be read to the church at Colossae. Given the way our English translation reads, we could take this to mean that the church at Laodicea had written a letter. And Paul wanted that letter to be read to the Christians at Colossae. The text says, and that ye likewise read the epistle from Laodicea. But I don't think that's what Paul meant, and uh, neither do most Bible scholars. Uh, This is a reference to a letter that Paul wrote, a letter that was at Laodicea, And he wanted that letter to be read to the church at Colossae. Now this raises a fascinating question. What was this letter? What is Paul referring to? There are basically two schools of thought. The first view, and perhaps most widely held, is that this is a reference to the letter to the Ephesians. I won't go into uh, the details this evening, but there is a Uh, a theory that the letter to the Ephesians was in fact a circular letter to the churches in Asia Minor. Perhaps the same churches that are mentioned in Revelation chapters 2 and 3. The church at Laodicea was one of its intended recipients, and, and what Paul is instructing here is that the church at Laodicea passed this letter, or a copy, on to the church at Colossae. So this letter could be the book of Ephesians. The second view is that this is another letter that Paul wrote that has not come down to us today. It was a separate letter to the church at Laodicea. And we know that Paul did write other letters. There is evidence to suggest that he wrote at least one and possibly two more letters to the church at Corinth that we don't have today. Now these other letters were not inspired, they were not scripture, like the other letters that we have in our New Testament. Now, whatever the case, this instruction is highly important for how we approach the letters in our New Testament. As one scholar notes, this practice of reading a letter written to one community in another suggests that from the beginning, Paul viewed some of his letters as having more than local relevance. And this is a a very big deal. What we've been studying these many weeks is a letter written specifically to the church at Colossae. But in Paul's mind, it was relevant to the church at Laodicea, to another community of Christians. And whatever that letter to the church at Laodicea was, Paul believed it was applicable to the church at Colossae. This, uh, as it were, opens the door or perhaps even sets a precedent for what became the practice of the early church. And that is that a letter written to one church would be read in other churches. The letters of the apostles were seen as being relevant and applicable to all the churches. Now I was looking at some of the writings of the earliest church fathers, uh, Ignatius, Clement and Polycarp. Uh, These men ministered in the 1st and 2nd centuries. Each of them wrote letters to churches that Paul wrote to. And they reference Paul's letters to those churches. Uh, For example, Clement, who lived in Rome, wrote to the church at Corinth, perhaps as early as the year 96. And in his opening, he mentions Paul's letters to the Corinthians. But what these men also do is refer to letters that Paul wrote to other churches... And they bring his words to bear on the church to whom they are writing. So, for example, Polycarp wrote to the church at Philippi. 
and he mentions Paul's letter to the Philippians. But then in his exhortations to the church, he quotes from letters that Paul wrote to other churches. Uh, Let me give you an example. This is from Polycarp's epistle to the Philippians, which he wrote sometimes, sometime between the years 110 and 140. And I quote, For neither I nor any other such one can come up to the wisdom of the blessed and glorified Paul. He, when among you, accurately and steadfastly taught the word of truth in the presence of those who were then alive. And when absent from you, he wrote you a letter, which, if you carefully study, you will find to be the means of building you up in that faith which has been given you, and which, being followed by hope and preceded by love towards God and Christ and our neighbour, is the mother of us all. So, there is a reference to the letter that Paul wrote to the Philippians, it's very clear. But then notice what Polycarp goes on to say, this is in the next section. But the love of money is the root of all evil. Knowing therefore that as we brought nothing into the world, so we can carry nothing out, let us arm ourselves with the armour of righteousness, and let us teach first of all ourselves to walk in the commandments of the Lord. Now in these two sentences alone, Polycarp twice quotes from Paul's letter to Timothy, and alludes to a line in Paul's letter to the Ephesians. Evidently, Polycarp believed that these other writings of Paul, writings that were addressed to other individuals or churches, had relevance and application to the Christians at Philippi. All of this is to say that when we today read Paul's letters in our New Testament and see them as applying to us, when we take them as apostolic messages to our church, we're not doing anything inappropriate. We're not saying this applies to us when it really doesn't. Uh, These letters were intended to have a wider audience and the early church recognised that. The letter to the Colossians was to be read in the church at Laodicea and I don't think it's at all a stretch to say that it's to be read in the church at Lismore. Now this inevitably leads into a discussion of the nature of scripture and canonicity which I'm not going to get into tonight. All I want you to see is just how important this little verse is at the end of this letter. It has tremendous implications for the way we approach the New Testament. And so in these final verses we have a a greeting to the churches, instructions about the letter, and then thirdly we see an exhortation for a brother. Verse 17, And say to Archippus, Take heed to the ministry which thou hast received in the Lord, that thou fulfil it. We don't know who Archippus was. His name only appears here and in the book of Philemon. And we don't know what his ministry was. Now given that Paul addresses his situation in this public way, perhaps it was a public ministry that he'd been called to. A ministry the church was aware of. A ministry that was particularly vital to the health of the church. Uh, Perhaps he'd been called to preach or teach or exercise oversight. Perhaps the leadership had fallen to him in the absence of Epaphras. A member of Epaphras was over there in Rome with Paul. Uh, A number of scholars think this may have been the case. Whatever the ministry was, for some reason he wasn't fulfilling it. He wasn't serving as diligently or as wholeheartedly as he should have been. And we can only speculate as to why this was the case. Uh, Maybe he was slack. 
Or maybe he was discouraged. Maybe he was too distracted with his own affairs, his own business. Or maybe he was overwhelmed by a sense of his own inability. We just don't know. But what I want you to pay careful attention to here is that the church was called to exhort and encourage him. It wasn't Paul saying this to Archippus. It was the church who was to say this. The the instructions in verse 16 were to the church. Uh, The church was to organise for the letters to be exchanged. And the thought flows into verse 17. Do such and such regarding the letters and say to Archippus, take heed to the ministry. And there is certainly a lesson here for ministers. A lesson about being diligent. If God has entrusted us with a ministry, then we need to fulfill it. We need to be good shepherds, good stewards, good servants, good Sunday school teachers and so on. But you know, there is also a lesson here for congregations. The congregation, the church, is to have its eyes and hearts open to its ministers. And if they need a bit of a kick in the pants because they're being slack, then the church needs to lovingly and graciously give them a kick. And if its ministers, metaphorically speaking, need a hug because they're burdened and discouraged, then the church needs to lovingly and graciously give them a hug. In my three and a half decades of church life, it's usually the encouragement that's needed. And the church needs to look after those who serve. The congregation needs to come alongside and lift them up and in so doing help them fulfil their ministry. Encourage that Sunday school teacher. Go out of your way to bless that musician or that blast leader. If they look like they're struggling, do something about it. Help your pastors fulfil the ministry they have received in the Lord. That's in your own best interest, isn't it? (laughs) It's not the job of someone outside of the congregation to do this. It's your job. Now you, as it were, need to say to your archippus, whoever that might be, take heed to the ministry which thou hast received in the Lord, that thou fulfill it. So we have an exhortation for a brother here at the end. And another important lesson for us to take away. And that brings us to the very last verse in the epistle, where we have a final request and blessing. Verse 18. The salutation by the hand of me, Paul. Remember my bonds. Grace be with you. Amen. Now, Paul obviously dictated this letter to an amanuensis. Maybe it was Tychicus. And perhaps he did this because his eyesight wasn't so good. Uh, There is evidence at the end of his letter to the Galatians that points to this. But here, uh, Paul takes up the pen himself and writes a greeting. And it's a lovely personal touch. And Then he asks the Christians to remember his bonds. To remember that at this time he was under house arrest in Rome. He was a prisoner of the empire. 
Now the sense is probably that he wanted the Christians to remember his situation and pray for him. He'd already said as much in chapter 4, verses 2 and 3. Continue in prayer and watch in the same with thanksgiving, with all praying also for us, that God would open unto us a door of utterance to speak the mystery of Christ, for which I am also in bonds. And the writer to the Hebrews gave a similar instruction, though more general. Uh, It's in chapter 13, and perhaps Paul was the author. Hebrews chapter 13, verse 3. Remember them that are in bonds, as bound with them, and them which suffer adversity, as being yourselves also in the body. And uh, we, we try to do this in all our gatherings. We've done it tonight. We remember our persecuted brothers and sisters in the world, those in bonds, those in prison, and we, we pray for them. And we pray for all the things that I imagine Paul wanted the Colossians to pray for him. We pray for strength and protection and encouragement and that the gospel would continue to go out despite uh, their difficult situation. And Paul had this final request And then we see that his last thought in this letter was not for himself, but for his readers. Grace be with you. His desire, his wish was that God's grace, uh, uh, God's favour and kindness would be with them. Uh, One author points out that Paul includes a grace wish to his readers in the closing of all his letters. And in every letter, except Romans and 1 Corinthians, it comes last. The same author adds, Paul has begun his letter by asking for grace to be upon the Colossians, chapter 1, verse 2. And it is fitting that he concludes with a similar wish. Their need to continue and grow in their faith in the face of false teaching will be undergirded and stimulated by the continuing work of God's grace in their midst. And so we come to the end of our study. The end of our study. Now, some weeks it's been hard work for me, and some weeks it's been hard work for you. <laughs> but you know, I trust that with the Spirit's help we've come to a deeper knowledge and a greater appreciation of our Saviour, the Lord Jesus Christ. Now it was a while ago, but uh, you know what a joy it was to, to meditate on that description of Jesus in chapter 1. The image of the invisible God, the firstborn of every creature, the creator and sustainer of all things, the end of all things, the head of the church, and so on. I hope we've come to know and appreciate a little bit more our salvation in the Lord Jesus Christ. What he accomplished for us, our union with him, and, and what new life is like. Now, the old self is dead, the new self is alive, and that has daily practical implications. It's been good for us to see what new life looks like in the home, in our workplace, in the, in the church. We went through the, uh, the household code. We've had some important lessons for husbands and wives and children. We've also seen the great contrast between the true gospel and the false. We've seen the folly of legalism and the folly of mysticism. We've been reminded of our liberty in the Lord Jesus Christ. We've learned about wisdom. We've come to see that all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge are hidden in Christ. And our great need is to set our affections, to set our mind on Him. And so I thank you for listening for all these weeks. 
that look forward to studying another book in our New Testament in the weeks to come. Amen.